Welcome to Season 3 of Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. Thank you so much for listening. Today's guest is Keisha Gallagher. Welcome to my podcast, and I'm so thrilled to have you here because I have been visiting your website for years, or at least a few years, and learning so much. But you are the founder, owner of Grace in Torah, your website. You have also been an author and a programmer for Hebraic Roots Network and a trainer for the creation gospel. And I'll let you explain some of those things, but welcome. I'm so pleased to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Grace and Torah is my uh, labor of love. That's really where my ministry work was started. Mm -hmm. And it was just writing. I actually didn't see myself speaking and doing interviews and doing a lot of the things that I do, but Hey, the father always has plans that you don't have. And that's what he did with my life. Mm -hmm. And really it's a, it's a chronicle of just my own study over the years. Um, Anyone that is interested in our, our Jewish roots, our Hebraic roots of our faith, then that's, you can see my journey throughout that on Grace and Torah, and you can find it at graceandtorah.net. Uh, or .com will get you there too. I think .org will as well. But um, before that, I actually met Dr. Halisa Alwine, and she is the author of The Creation Gospel. So you were mentioning that I'm a creation gospel trainer. Well, she is the author of The Creation Gospel series, and it's a series of in-depth workbooks that shows you how the gospel is proclaimed from Genesis chapter one in the seven days of creation and throughout the seven festivals or feast days, the seven spirits of God. And you see that played out with all the sevens, even in the book of revelation. Right. So it's a, it's a challenging, but amazing study. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know exactly when this will air, But if any of your listeners are interested in that, they can email me because we have other trainers and ongoing classes and courses, one of uh, two of which which will start in late August. That's August 30th and 31st of 2023. And they can email me at Keisha, that's K-I-S-H-A at graceintora.net. And all you do is request an invitation and you can get into the course, which is free aside from the workbook that you'll purchase. So Dr. Alwine is my mentor, and that's how I got started. And I, again, just started publishing and writing, and that led to a lot of a lot of avenues of ministry for me. So I've, I'm a programmer on Hebraic Roots Network, or some of you will know it by myrevivetv.com. And they have a, a, a whole team of wonderful teachers there. You and I were speaking about the late, uh, Brad Scott, whom I highly mm. uh, appreciate and miss dearly, uh, who is a pro- who was a programmer on on there. But I only have one program on there right now. I just haven't had time to get in to record. And it's all about the tongue, the thing nobody wants to talk about. So it's called Taste Your Words. Mm. Uh, but it's something we all all daily need to work on. So if you're up for that challenge, that's free. If you want to go onto Hebraic Roots Network and watch that. And I've also done similar to what you're doing, Stephanie, with um, Hebrew Nation Radio. I was, I co-hosted with Dr. Deb Wiley 
are gold now. And she and I had a show called Renewed, and it was all about testimonies, which Mm -hmm. I loved. You know, uh, we interviewed all kinds of people and heard some fantastic testimonies over the the a couple years that we did that. And I'm not sure if they're in the archive or not. There probably so. Okay. But anytime you need an encouragement, there's nothing like testimonies. They're so powerful. Yes, they are. Yeah, and I had an opportunity to speak to Dr. Debbie Gold, and she was wonderful. So. I'm going to have her on the podcast sometimes as sometime as well. So that'll be cool. And I did take part. I didn't get through the whole class because of circumstances, but the creation gospel is an excellent, excellent study to really get into kind of this, this is not your Sunday school lesson in creation, right? I mean, it's not, it's not the Sunday school type of lesson. This is going deep and bringing from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. And it's an awesome study and it teaches you the importance of the uh, Moedim or the appointed times. And so excellent study. So, and I, and um, actually that was besides your website, I was in your, one of your classes and I just couldn't finish it because of different things, but um, it was still an excellent class. So. Yeah. So thank you. That's awesome. And the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is Grace and Taurus. So it's your website. It's a title of your website. But I find often um, the reason I was drawn to it was because you have a lot about numbers in there and the biblical meaning, the Hebraic meaning of these numbers. But before we go there, why do you name it Grace and Torah? Well, this is probably going to sound a little whimsical to some listeners or viewers, but actually the name of it came to me in a dream. Really? Uh, And it was when I had been praying about writing and publicly. And this old woman came up to me in a dream and she handed me a card. And that's what it said was grace in Torah on the card. And so after I woke up, I'm like, why did I dream that? You know, and then I realized, oh, I've been praying about this for for weeks. And I had no name, you know, what I would name um, anything, a a website or a blog. And so that's how I got the name. And so why is that important though? Why grace, why grace and Torah? And, and that is something that actually I dealt with all the time at that, at that particular season of my life, because why, why would you want to go under the law? You know, those sorts of questions would come up often. And The more I've studied over the years, the more evident it became that the father's grace, whether you're looking at that Hebrew word or his loving kindness, Mm -hmm. it is throughout the Bible. It is from Genesis to Revelation because he does not change. Right. He is the same today, yesterday, and will be tomorrow. And so he has always had a throne of mercy, a throne of grace. And everything is rooted from that. So even his, what we call the law, his instructions, mm-hmm. they're coming from that place of mercy and grace. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's interesting because, you know, the thing that I hear a lot is I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. Um, why would you want to go back to the law? But the way I see it is, you know, when the early Israelites, the Old Testament Israelites had just the law or the Torah, like you said, it's, it means actually a teaching or instruction, but when they had that, they, they 
failed to be able to follow it. And because they had to do it in pretty much their own strengths. We don't, since since the Messiah, we don't have to do it in our own strength. It, it, he didn't call when, I think too, when people say he fulfilled it, we kind of sit think that, well, he fulfilled it and he pushed it aside. He said, okay, I fulfilled it. We don't need it anymore. But that's not even what that really means. But But he helps us follow the Torah. He helps us live it and walk in it like he did. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and through his grace, we are able to stay with it and not get sidetracked, not get not fall away just because of the power he gives us through his Holy Spirit. Yes. And I think a lot of it goes back to a misunderstanding of, you know, our, our desire to keep it. And as if it is for our justification and salvation, and that's not true. Uh, And actually, Contrary to popular popular belief, it wasn't even true for the Israelites right. before Messiah came. Uh, he alone delivered them from the bondage and slavery of Egypt, not on any merit that they had earned. Yes. And so only after that mark, and this is why understanding the Moedim are so important because it shows you this pattern very clearly that it's never based on our works. It's never based on our righteousness. It's never based on our merits. It is always based on him and who he is. Right. And he did that based on the promise and covenant that he made with Abraham. That was a partial fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant was to deliver them from, from that position. And so then, and only then did he actually take them out into the wilderness and give them his fuller instruction. And he does the same thing with us, right? You know, we come to him and throw ourselves on his mercy and grace. He forgives us. He, he redeems us. He delivers us. And then, and only then mm-hmm. do we then go and then learn what is right and what is wrong. We're, and where do we learn that? We learn that in his instructions, right? That's so good. That's so true because we don't often think or even are taught or realize that the law didn't save them back then either. And it wasn't, and, and God brought them out of slavery and gave them freedom before he ever gave them a list of instructions to follow and obedience to do. He freed them first. And that's exactly what he does with us. He frees us. Then he says, now be obedient. I freed you. I've given you new life. You know, I've made you my children. So now just obey me and just be in relationship. I think that's more than anything because when we're in relationship with him, truly in a loving relationship with him, we want to please him. We want to do what he wants us to do. So I think that's, and even you made me think of Abraham because it says it was credited to him as righteousness. He didn't have the Torah. He didn't have all that yet. And, but yet what, what was credited to him, his belief and his obedience. That was what saved him. Yes. And even the new covenant that we are walking in now, it still goes back to that same covenant. The covenants, as Paul says, they don't undo one another. They build on top of one another. Right. And so now we have the wonderful opportunity, like we're told in Jeremiah 31, for example, 
that he is writing that his instructions, his Torah upon our hearts. Hmm. And I think that we are in process. Obviously we're not perfect. Um, but that's good. I'm so glad that you explained that because I love that name, Grace and Torah. So if you don't remember anything else about this, Grace and Torah and head to her website because you won't be sorry of what you can learn. So just one thing that's on there that I often go back and, and look at are her explanation and and teaching of the numbers. So you want to touch on that and kind of explain what I'm kind of what I'm referring to. Yeah. And actually I'll tell you uh, that they aren't written, written in like an article form. It is truly reference. It was me posting my notes um, on numbers that I had just learned throughout the years um, especially, and this goes back to the creation gospel guys. So if you want to understand this, those seven days of creation, you're understanding this significance and pattern, particularly one through seven, but you do learn about some other numbers from Genesis to revelation. And you can see those played out. Uh, currently I only have, uh, Hebrew numbers one through 30. And as I mentioned, they're just reference, like there's the number listed and then there's detail given, and I go in and edit anytime I learn something about any of those numbers, I'll go in and edit, edit those. But I get more traffic on those posts than anything else on Grace and Torah, which shocked me. But in reality, when you think about it, it shouldn't have shocked me because everybody from every walk of life. And I have people comment from different faiths even that come and want to know about these numbers because mm-hmm. they're seeing the number over and over again. They're dreaming about numbers. Uh, there's just, you know, and, and I think every, because we're human and one of the things God endowed us with was the ability to, to recognize patterns mm-hmm. that it just attracts a lot of people. And so my hope is they'll read and it will get them interested right. in the Jewish roots of our faith too. Right. Very interesting. Because even three was the one I think that I looked at and it stuck with me because because the the number three goes back to the third day of creation and trees and plants and seeds were created on that day. And then you go back to other references of where there's a tree where Jesus was in the ground three days, three nights, all of those things then go back and and he hung on a tree. And I mean, all those things are actually related by the number three. And whenever you yes. see a tree, you know, in scripture, go back to creation day three, and th- there's a relationship there. So that's what fascinated me. Yes. And so we understood, our, you know, most people do, th- they identify three as a number of resurrection. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is a seed that teaches us about resurrection first. And those are day three creations. You know, we see a seed die, buried and then sprouting to life. Right. So those seeds that you see in Genesis, it's true all the way through, all the way through scripture. It's very, very interesting. So thanks. Um, The other thing I wanted to ask you about, and we can probably spend more time here is on some of the feasts, but we'll, we'll talk because by the time this airs, it'll probably be fall and we'll be talking, we'll be in the middle of fall feasts. And so Rosh Hashanah is one of, I think just my favorite feast too, that I have learned a great deal about, but that I, I still don't feel like I know it well, you know, I just like Mm. learning. So right now it's kind of head knowledge instead of, um, more action-based, but, um, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about that 
feast and maybe explain it to people who who maybe have never followed the feast, um, who who don't know even know it exists. So exactly. kind of if you want to start basic and then move deeper, that would be great. Well, let's just start with the just the simple basics of of Rosh Hashanah. And we'll talk about the name Rosh Hashanah because in the, in the Bible, Leviticus 23, for example, it's called Yom Teruah. And a Teruah is like a, a blast from a shofar, mm-hmm. the sound that it makes, but it's also what comes out when you're shouting. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that word translated both of those ways. In Leviticus 23, when you're looking at the feast, the father gives us specific dates and times on the Hebrew calendar or Jewish calendar of when they occur. And Rosh Hashanah, or or the Feast of Trumpets, as many of you will recognize, mm-hmm. is the only festival that occurs on a new moon. And so I've I've written a book about the biblical new moon. Um, it's a guide to celebrating. It's not specifically about the calendar. It's about each new moon. We even our word month comes from moon, month, a month. That's that's what we call month. Although our Western calendar no longer bases the months on the moons. As you know, you can look and see when the new moon, astronomical new moon is going to occur on your calendar generally. And it can fall anywhere. It just depends. But on, in the, on the Jewish calendar, it all, the months always begin with the first sliver of the new moon. Mm-hmm. And they are a picture. This is awesome, especially for believers, guys. New moons are always about a picture of being born again, renewed, born from above, because we see that cycle and pattern happen with the moon. And so it is really, truly every month, like a feast for the born again, for those that are being renewed like that moon. And even the timing that is associated with moons is called a molad, which also means a birth. So when that new moon is supposed to be coming and we announce the time for it, you're actually talking about the birth. And we're not talking about a brand spanking new moon. Obviously it's the same moon every month that goes through these cycles, but it's such a spiritual picture for us Mm -hmm. because we, we all were born literally physically. And yet hopefully you have been born anew or from above or again, depending on how you want to translate that like the moon. Mm. So let's think about John three, for example. When did Nicodemus come to Yeshua or Jesus? It was at night. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine, especially without the light pollutions that we have today, right. that they would have been able to see the, the stars and the moon. And then he starts talking about being born from above or born anew. Uh, so it's such a it's such an awesome picture. So at the seventh month on the Jewish calendar, that month is super special. That's when all the fall feasts happen, but they are all initiated by a Yom Teruah. Sometimes that is translated as a day of the uh, awakening blast or a great shout. And so it's like a herald that's ushering us into first a figure of the day of judgment, like with the day of atonements. And then finally with Sukkot or tabernacles, where you can see figures of the wedding feast. So one of the things I like to show people is that when we look at those spring feasts that Yeshua fulfilled for us, you can associate that with his first coming prophetically. And then with these fall feasts, it's more a picture of his second coming. Mm -hmm. And so think of language you already know from the New Testament about there being a 
trumpet, a shout from the archangel. Well, in Hebrew, you're saying teruah, just like the name mm-hmm. of this feast. That's so where did Rosh Hashanah come from? That's probably what I, I get a lot of people that want to argue about this. Um, and I'll preface this first by saying, out of all of the Moedim, out of all of the appointed times, the Bible actually gives us the least amount of information when it comes to this particular feast. Mm. And so maybe just ponder why. Well, if you think about it being a new moon, new moons, it's dark out. The the moon is not giving a lot of light. So think about that as being a physical parable for spiritual reality. There's a little less light. Like we have a little less information. There's mystery involved, Mm. even with the timing of the month, because to ordain the month or sanctify it as actually being renewed for the seventh month. In biblical times, it would have required two credible witnesses to see that first little sliver of light, the indication of the new birth of the moon or month. It would have to go before a panel of judges and they would be scrutinized to ensure that it indeed had been seen. Mm -hmm. And once it had been seen, then they would declare the new month. But just like for us, we can look outside. Clouds can obscure. Um, uh, you might think you're seeing something and you're not, because when you're looking for a tiny sliver, it's not always easy to see. So there's ambiguity on the start of such months. So when Yeshua, for example, talking again about his second coming, talking about the the day and the hour that no man knows, mm-hmm. it's an, it's an idiom for a new moon, right? Specifically for us, it would be this Moedim new moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard that before. And I thought that was so interesting because we don't, because we don't understand the idioms, the Hebrew idioms. And then also the Greeks didn't either. So when they translated the Hebrew scriptures, there was this, I I read this by actually a Jewish scholar and said that the Greeks didn't understand these word plays and these idioms that the Hebrew language had. And so they would often get translated kind of sloppily or just lost in translation, basically, as the phrase goes, you know, so things would get lost. And and then it doesn't make sense to us in English as much. Yeah. Well, one of my dear friends, her first language is Spanish. And we have this issue sometimes even with things I'll say or she'll say something. And I'm like, what, what does Mm -hmm. that mean? But she's, (laughs) and it's again, it has to do with cultural idioms that are just, yeah, we don't get. Right. Yeah. And I understand that because I had a um, Rocky. No, she was Iranian. So she was, um, Arabic and, or I guess, you know, maybe Persian Arabic, but she, she probably knew both languages, but it was funny because when you'd say something like one of our own idioms, you know, you know, don't count your eggs before they hatch. And she was like, well, why would you do that? Or, you know, something like totally like, what does that mean? Why? You don't count your eggs or, you know, whatever. It was just like these kind of funny little things. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) So once I became a chicken farmer, (laughs) 
I understood what that meant. Just because you have 12 eggs doesn't mean you have 12 tricks. And so it was very funny to see all that even play out. And I think that's the beauty of Hebrew and the um, customs and the culture and the the history. Once you understand it, understand the words and the meanings, now you see it play out. It's just like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I didn't even understand that before. So it all comes together. Yes. Amen. This this might be a good segue into actually explaining why our Jewish brethren call this particular feast Rosh Hashanah. Mm. Rosh means head. Hashanah means the year or head of the year, or like we would say in English, new year. Mm-hmm. Um, when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, Actually, before he even brought them out, right before that Passover Eve in Exodus 12, the very first thing he did was reset their calendar. And so in Exodus 12, two, it says, now this is going to be the beginning of months to you. Hmm. In other words, it's marking forever the time of their deliverance. So Passover and and I think most Christians even understand that this, this much of that too, mm-hmm. that it, it, it figures us being born again, because it is the Passover lamb that has been, his blood has been shed for us for that uh, redemption and deliverance and salvation. So if, if Exodus 12, if that's marking the beginning of months, we immediately think that's the new year. And in a sense it is, it is the new year for the months. And I have more questions about this than anything when it comes to this feast, because, and I think, again, it goes back to our Western mindset, our year and our month both begin on the same day, January 1st. And so we want these things to be one thing because that's what we're, we're used to, but that's not, that's just not the way the, the Hebrews or the Jewish people thought they clearly saw that months and years were two different things measuring two different accounts of time. And I know we get that much, mm-hmm. but they did, they didn't have a need to have them on the same cycle mm-hmm. or beginning at the exact same point. And so if you go to Exodus 12 too, and I highly encourage you to do this, even if you don't need read Hebrew, you can pull up the interlinear Bible. You'll see the English, you'll see the Hebrew, you'll see the Hebrew transliterations in English. And nowhere in that statement does it say Rosh Hashanah, in other words, head of the years. What it does say is Rosh Hodashin, head of the months. And Mm -hmm. so the spring when Passover occurs, and that can be anywhere in March and April on our calendar, that is a new year of months. It's the head of the months. And when you come to the seventh month and see, it makes no sense to us for the year to begin in the seventh month. Right. But again, think about it as two completely different um, calculations of time. Also think moons are associated with the moons, the months, whereas years, the Shana is associated with the sun. And if you're thinking, okay, yeah, we have two great luminaries. They're, they're governors, from day four of creation over two different cycles of time. It's helpful. And so we have at least four places in the books of Moses that talks about the turn and the end of the year 
occurring in the seventh month. Mm. When a jubilee, that's the Yovel or the 50 year cycle, the seven sets of seven years uh, was announced. It was always on Yom Kippur or the day of atonement, which is in the seventh month. In other words, there's a complete reset. And remember that jubilees, Yovels don't have to do with months. They have to do with years. Right. And so even in the agricultural cycle, which all of the Moedim are following, there is an end and a beginning in the agricultural cycle in the seventh month. And the word for year, Shana, is also the word for change. In other words, there's a there's a changeover that occurs. And so maybe also think of the hints that Paul gave us when he says, you know, in the twinkling of an eye, you know, that there's going to be a change, a Shana. In Hebrew, he would have been saying a Shana. Hmm. So you can see figures of the change and resurrection beginning right here at these fall feasts with Rosh Hashanah. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I have often thought that because, and I'll get back to that because you, something you said earlier, but because the first month where Passover is, he said that would be the first month. Did he not? Was it the first month of the year? Is that how the Bible puts it? So, so that, begins you know that what we consider springtime or the month for passover because passover is like on the 14th of the month and all that so but then here you have the head of the year or months so they're two different things but they but i know like the torah portion start over on rosh hashanah right well after the the fall phase so it's at the end of the fall phase okay so I didn't know if they still in the seventh month, you know, it still uh-huh. happens then. So the scrolls are rolled back and you have a new beginning. again. Okay. Okay. So new. Yeah. So then you also mentioned Jubilee, which is fascinating because we don't know much about that in the church. We don't learn much about that, but it's um, actually their calendar is also based on a lot of sevens and so and multiples of sevens and even the account of genesis right is based on multiples of sevens like with seven words in the first line you know i read where there were hebrew words okay we're not talking about english words but in hebrew there's multiples of sevens in each verse that we call a verse and it's all throughout the hebrew life the language everything and so the Jubilee is like every 49 years. And then it, is it celebrated on the 50th year? But it's seven weeks of seven. So so it's 49 years technically. So it's very interesting. And I, I think this is just so interesting. With That's where why I go to her website about numbers. Because it's to figure out all these things and these numbers and what's going on. And then numbers have very specific meanings as well. Seven is a perfect number. Three and 12 are all kind of numbers that are used a lot in the Bible. So, so there you go. I just wanted to bring that up because I knew, um, the whole Jubilee thing was based on 49 years. Mm -hmm. And then there's 49 days for Pentecost. What we call Pentecost actually, again, is kind of like that whole Jubilee, except it's days and years. So, yeah. And it's, 
in Hebrew, it's called Shavuot, which means weeks, you know, right. you call it, and we call it that because it is, but you count both days and weeks, seven right. times seven weeks. And then you have Shavuot or 49 days. And then the 50th is, is Pentecost is where Pente yeah. is 50. Right. 50. Yeah. So it, it's combination kind of, I mean, the Greek has taken the 50 and then, but the yeah. Hebrew sticks with the 49. And um, so, but we still end up kind of celebrating it on, I guess, on the same day in a sense, but yeah, it's very interesting, but go ahead. I just wanted to bring that up about going back, how it goes back to numbers again. It does. It does. And Hey, the well is deep guys. It's super deep. I mean, you can just dig and dig and you find more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to Rosh Hashanah, this is mm-hmm. one of the ways I explain the, the analogy that I use, because when you also start digging and reading about this festival, you're going to discover that not only does that seventh month, a picture of the new year, mm-hmm. but it's a commemoration of creation. And so you will probably find references about uh, Rosh Hashanah being a, a commemoration of the creation week. So they back that up into the month of Elul, uh, which is the the sixth Hebrew month. On Elul 25th, they see that as like the creation day one. And when you finally get to Rosh Hashanah, then you're seeing the creation of man yes, or Adam. So, and I love this because it makes the perfect analogy. So mm-hmm. I want you to think that's physical creation, birth. Well, I mean, well, for Adam, it was creation, but we can, we're, we're Adam, right? Mm-hmm. That's, we are too. And him, we all have this physical birth. And so when we come to the Lord, we off, it's not, we don't stop counting our physical years, but we also will then start counting something else from the moment that we were born again. You know, people will say, I have known the Lord for 15 years. Well, they might be, you know, 45 years old and, and they're, and there's counting both cycles, right. physical and, and spiritual. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what happened with Israel. Let's think about them again. They were a physical creation and they were, they were born. But when he redeemed them, when he bought them back from the bondage of slavery, he then took them through a bloody door and parted waters, very much like a birth canal. And a whole people were birthed as a nation unto him. Now, it wasn't a physical birth, but it was indeed a spiritual birth birth. So I believe that is exactly why he told them in Exodus 12, this is going to be the beginning of months because remember the moon is what is a parable of renewal and being born again, not the sun. It's, it's stable. It's always, it's always uh, there. It doesn't go through phases like our moon. And so Mm -hmm. that pattern continues. It continues still to this day, even we don't realize that that's what we're living and walking through. Right. And didn't the other feasts, uh, or I should say, aren't the other feasts on a full moon? Well, the big ones are, right. you have Passover. It's always at a full moon. And I want you to think more because there's more natural light. It's a picture that there's more spiritual light. Mm-hmm. And so you have that at Passover. And then you also have that again at Sukkot. So it's mm-hmm. just, those those things are connected together, bookends mm-hmm. of the Moedim, 
And that's, and if, and here's the interesting thing, and you may have had this experience as well. Most people that I find that are interested in the feast of the Lord, they gravitate toward one of those two feasts. Mm-hmm. They want to do a Passover or they want to know about this tabernacle thing. They, it's those two that it's like they see more, you know, spiritually mm-hmm. and, and want to do. They're very interesting. And like you said earlier, they're all based on the harvest of that time. So the spring harvest, you have the the barley and then the wheat. And then even the new wine and oil, because those everything they they harvested, it was a first fruit to the Lord. Am I correct? It was all presented yes. to the Lord before they could eat it. They brought it yes. as a tithe. And that's what yes. these feasts are very significant of, in a sense. You're bringing a tithe of this harvest, and you're celebrating that harvest. And, of course, then it's not just about that. There's deeper meanings. And you see the Messiah in each of the feasts. Yes. And, yeah, well, he's called our first fruits. Right. And I love this because, you know, we're so far removed from the agricultural aspect right. of the mobility. Right. Or even the climate or the timing of things that go on in the land of Israel. But it's so mm-hmm. important to learn these things because it does teach us spiritual truths. Right. So, yes, we're bringing what we have been able to uh, that's coming up from the ground in Thanksgiving because we know he's the one that, that causes all things to grow. At the same time, we are his field. We are mm-hmm. his harvest. And so. Messiah in Messiah, we become the first fruits um, to God, like the New Testament writers tell us. And so if we're and what you would do with these feasts, particularly the pilgrimage feast at Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles, you would take your feet to Jerusalem up to the Temple Mount. What was the Temple Mount built on? It was a threshing floor. Hmm. Threshing floors have to do with harvest. Mm -hmm. And so what does threshing do? It separates the chaff from the wheat or whatever grain it is. that. And so they are all appointments for us that cause spiritual recreation. Mm -hmm. And it's an ongoing cycle. You know, they're, they're similar, yet they're different each year. And it is phenomenal. But I tell you what, because it's a threshing floor too, it's also a test. Mm-hmm. If you've tried to keep the feast, whatever seems to go wrong can go wrong. There's a lot of testing mm-hmm. uh, before these times because that's, but that's our Lord. He doesn't do that because he's sadistic. He does that because he wants us to transform us in mm-hmm. more and more into the image mm-hmm. of Messiah. When you talk about Moedim, we see that word in creation, correct? Yes. We do on day four of creation, when the luminaries, the sun, moon, and stars were put into the uh, heavens for us, it says that they were, were there to govern, but it says they would be for signs and for seasons. And the word for seasons is Moedim. And so that's confusing. They're like, well, how should we translate this? Should it be translated seasons or should it be translated as appointed times, um, feast. Well, the truth is yes, because remember all of the festivals are centered around agricultural Mm -hmm. seasons. So the answer is 
Yes. Yes. So they were all given the on day four, all of the above. They were given on day four of creation to govern um, the day from the night and to separate the light from the darkness. Now, that's true in the physical. But as Paul says, what comes first is not the spiritual, but the physical, at least from our perspective. We understand physical before we understand spiritual. What would that look like spiritually? What would they be? Well, on day four of creation, God is giving us his calendar. His clock mm-hmm. is instituted into the the sky, um, which the heavens. And that is amazing to me because that's precisely what has Moedim do too. They're like guideposts mm-hmm. uh, that are there to govern. And your calendar right now. It governs what you do. Mm-hmm. It's when you when you vacation, when you rest, uh, what your next appointment is. I mean, everything is governed by a calendar. So you can see why government authority is associated with that. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. And it's so true, though, because, I mean, I've got a, a calendar right here on my desk <laughs> that I have to take notes on or I miss appointments and I just, you know, miss everything. So. Um, and even sometimes I take notes from my podcast, I put them on my calendar, so I don't forget them, you know, so it's funny, yes. though, we we are governed by time, and we're governed by calendar and months and seasons, or, we don't even think about it, but our, I mean, think about when you're in school, you're, mm-hmm. you see school as, you know, September or August through May or June, you know, so that's, that's that nine months calendar there of school. And then you've got a calendar for breaks. And then, so we were ruled by our calendars, really. And so God just put it in the beginning of the creation and said, yeah, well, we're going to have my calendar too, for these, my holidays, my holy days and my, Shabbat and all those things. I mean, it's very interesting that he knew us. He knew we'd need a calendar, I guess. Yeah, he was like, I, I want you to put me in your day timer right here, yeah. right here, right here. And, yeah. and it's awesome because he does have weekly, monthly, mm-hmm. yearly, mm-hmm. and then multiple sets of years. You know, there is, there's all, he, if you really keep his calendar, you're, you, you stay out of trouble because you're busy. Trust me, there's a lot, (laughs) there's a lot going on. It really does help govern, govern you um, to stay more uh, into uh, his path versus whatever else that we're we're, uh, prone to do. Mm -hmm. And I know there's so much more we could go on and I um, appreciate the time you've given us and we're running out of time and I, I um, hate to stop here because I feel like there's a whole lot more, but it's, it's okay. Maybe we can do it again and talk more about it. Cause I know there's even like a coronation kind of thing. Yes. First times with Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. Yes. It's so <laughs> interesting. And, and if you're listening to this and this was just a taste of this, by all means, just look it up and do your research and you can find lots of information on Rosh Hashanah and all the things that it means and the Messiah in there all over the place it's beautiful yes it was awesome so thank you very much for your time and your teaching and uh, i appreciate you and i'll put all your links here on my um, website so people can find you and know how to reach out to you thank you thank you it was a pleasure being with you Stephanie. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find me at graftedjewishroots.com. Please check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews, on my website. And I also have a Facebook page under the same name. Join me every Wednesday for a new episode of Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Thank you for listening.